we often remember the beginning and the end of Jesus' ministry, but what would it have been like for the people who had witnessed the beginning of his ministry as he did his first miracle, as he did his first sermon? Today we're going to be looking at his first miraculous act, the first miraculous thing that seems to have happened in nearly 800 years by an individual. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, January 20th, 2013. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, We are not in the middle of a sermon series, which is pretty rare, so I'll kind of explain uh, where we're at. So we just finished the State of the Church address last week. I am glad that you still came back this week. Uh, To give a preview, uh, the church is doing well. It's just a long time to be talking about just kind of nuts and bolts kind of things. So let's get back to God's Word. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, In a couple weeks, we're going to be starting a new series in February, and it's based off a book by a guy named Craig Groeschel. Has anyone heard of him? He's out of Oklahoma. But he wrote a book that I think is pretty interesting. I've been studying, uh, reading that book, at least thought-provoking, and it's called Soul Detox. And it's talking about things that... um, hurt our relationship with God, and I thought, what perfect time to do that other than kind of the time of Lent. It's not quite Lent starting up in February, but Ash Wednesday starts the 17th, and it's also the start of our grow group. So I thought this would maybe be a good um, section to do during the time of Lent, and then Palm Sunday we'll kind of get back to a normal schedule, and of course Easter. And um, so I'm excited about that. That's starting up in a couple weeks. In the meantime, uh, the scheduled readings for these weeks, or what we call the pericope, emphasizes two first things that Jesus ever did. The first is his first miracle, and then next week we're going to be looking at his first sermon, or at least recorded sermon that we know about. This we know for sure is his first miracle. We don't know for sure if that's his first sermon that we have next week, but it seems to be. So we're pretty, um, I think that's pretty interesting to think. We always think about the end game kind of in mind. We know Jesus died on the cross. We know his birth. But you kind of forget what kind of reaction would people have had when they haven't seen things like this and they haven't seen someone who talks this way and they haven't seen someone who can do these things and then suddenly he's on the scene. So that's what we're going to be looking at um, over these next couple weeks. Um, We're going to be talking potential a little bit. and Potential is kind of a dangerous word and I think it's one that we use a lot and we kind of love in America. If you follow any sports teams, Um, you always are looking for the next newer person and they have the potential to be pretty good, right? That brings encouragement. If you work at work and you are um, in a management position, you're constantly, I think, evaluating people to say, do they have the potential to help our team or not? I mean, is this going to be a positive relationship or not? You do that at work. Um, You do that if you're a coach and you have players. You do that if you're a fan and you watch your team. Um, You even do that in relationships. Did you find yourself doing that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, anyone of you who is with someone else obviously had to base, do I want to be with this person forever based on a short snippet of time? And I'm going to embarrass my wife for a minute. And she already knows what story is coming. She's just like, yeah. Well, when we were dating, so we dated a long time. 14, 15 years old is when we met. 14, uh, she was 14 and I was 15. I've already explained you have to go a year lower to get prettier girls. Um, So... (laughs) So at 14 and 15, we start dating, and we're dating a long time. And we're, we went to visit her nephew. She had just had this, uh, her sister had a baby. And he's, I don't know what, maybe one, two, something like that. This is just for memory. And so we're hanging out, and I'm trying to be cool. You know, it takes some effort, so I'm trying to be cool. And then she goes to start playing with her nephew. And I think, oh, this is really nice. But then she starts to pretend to be a dog, like a fully trained dog that's doing, like, the rollover and, like, going... <laughs> And I remember thinking, like, 
that is the woman I want to be the mother of my children. That was, that was the deal sealer right there. And she distinctly remembers the story differently. She remembers like, I think I'm going to get dumped. Like, like, why would I do this? But that was the moment. That was the potential I said, this is it. This is the woman I certainly want to marry. So this happens all the time, right, when we're talking potential. Um, LeBron James, if you know him in the NBA, they broadcast his uh, high school basketball games on ESPN because they knew this guy's going to be so good. I remember thinking at the time, how do they know this guy's going to be that good? Of course, he is that good. So they know what they're talking about. So when we're talking about potential, it's a dangerous word because you're trying to determine what the future is going to be versus uh, based on limited results. And that doesn't always go to the positive. Has anyone seen the Clint Eastwood movie with, um, Trouble with the Curve? He plays a cantankerous old man, so that should narrow it down. Wait, he does that every time. So he, he plays a cantankerous old man, but there's some guy who has trouble hitting the curve. Everyone thinks he's great. And this guy who can't see, who can barely hear, knows he's got trouble with the curve somehow. He knows. So it's not a bad movie. I wouldn't say it's great. Um, but there he's talking about potential to something negative. What kind of potential did Jesus have, humanly speaking? If you would just come on the scene, remember he, he's born in the manger. We hear about him when he's 12. The next time he is uh, baptized, what, what kind of potential does he have, humanly speaking? He's not from a rich family. At least he's got some royal blood. But how many people do you think in Israel had royal blood when King David lived a thousand years before? Quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. So that's not such a big deal. Um, is he from like a, the Jerusalem, the capital, and some popular city? Imagine this. I said the next most famous person in the world is going to come from North Platte, Nebraska. See, some of you snickered already. And if you're from North Platte, I meant to say Kearney. So, so, right? It's not likely you'd be like the, most, uh, the next great basketball player of all time or something is going to come from North Platte. You'd be like, North Platte? Like maybe New York or L.A. or something like that. The same thing is with Jesus. Remember when uh, Philip and Nathaniel, Philip goes and he says to Nathaniel, we think we have found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know what his response is? Nazareth? And he says exactly, can anything good come from Nazareth? Anything. That's his impression. So humanly speaking, what does Jesus have going for him? Not a whole lot. And so that's, again, based on potential. The people looked at him and said, can this guy really be who he says he is? Is it worth our effort to follow him? And you kind of do the same thing. Um, You do it in a church. When you look around for a church, you kind of weigh that. And you say, does this church have the ability to uh, be a place where I can grow? Can I stand the preacher? Do I like the other people around? Do I like how they do things? These are things you ask yourself. You say, is this where I want my kids to learn about Jesus on a weekly basis? This church worships Jesus. It makes sense that you say, does Jesus have the ability to do what I'm looking for? And I know that sounds selfish, but every single person has done that. The people at that time are doing it. And we have to say, ask the question, can Jesus do it? So we're going to be looking in um, John chapter 2. And it starts like this. This is John chapter 2. If you have your Bible along, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' family, uh, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So what do you know about biblical weddings? Some. So you're thinking back in your head, what, what do we learn in Bible stories? So we know that they're a big deal, right? 
weddings are a big deal. They, they, what I always heard as a kid is that they last a week long, and they probably based that on, on Jacob. Remember, Jacob married Leah, even though he wanted to marry Rachel. And then a week later, he marries Rachel. You can imagine how awkward that was when they talked to Leah. What did you do on your honeymoon? My husband married another woman. Okay, great. Um, was the weather nice? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how that went for them. But that's based on this week-long celebration they talk about that. We hear about parables, right? The parable of the wedding banquet where they invite all these people in. It's a huge deal. Now, we hear about that when um, the virgins are waiting. This is this huge deal for this wedding. Week-long, huge celebration, and people really appreciate it. Is it any different really today? I mean, it's not a week long because people can't get off work that long. But it's still a big deal. You go to Hawaii and they want to, just to name their kid, they have a big deal. Um, a friend of ours um, is from Hawaii. When her brother had their first baby in Hawaii, they have like this naming ceremony, I think. At one year old, so one year old birthday party, they spent $10,000. They had a photo booth and a shave ice machine. And I'm like, that's how you throw a party right there. But the average wedding, do you know what the average U.S. wedding cost? I just looked it up. Just think of my wedding and then multiply it times five. Uh, it's $26,000 is the average wedding. And some of you are like, oh, that's not bad. I mean, but obviously, if someone spends $4 million, it's going to pull that, that number up. But $26,000, that is a big deal. And it was a big deal in biblical times. But here's the situation. Uh, when the wine was gone... Jesus' mother said to him, they're out of wine. And this next phrase is interesting. It says, dear woman, why do you involve me? That kind of, I shouldn't say this, but doesn't that sound a little snarky? A little bit? Well, there is a little bit of an edge to it. When the only other people, now you've got to think this all the way through, the only other um, creature, I should say, that ever uses this term are demons. It's used four other times. It's that same phrase. Jesus comes and starts messing with what they're doing, and they basically say, what are, you, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? And Jesus is essentially saying the thing, not what quit the same angle, but is basically saying, why, why are you involving me? What does this have to do with me, like that they ran out of wine? So his mother simply says, do whatever he tells you. So it goes on. Nearby stood six stone jars, the size of which, that's why I brought up a garbage can. You're like, what exactly is going on? the sides of which are uh, the kind that they use for ceremonial washing, and each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill these jars to the, with water. So they filled them to the brim. We actually had six garbage cans, but I wasn't going to drag six up. Do you know how many gallons this is? 32. Some of you are recycling nerds. Yeah, it is 32 gallons. So this is a little bit bigger. But just the weight of something like this at 30 pounds, like at 20 gallons would be like 170 pounds. Water's like 8 uh, pounds per gallon if you, my dad taught physics. Um, <laughs> or a size like this, if you fill this up with water, it'd be closer to like over 250 pounds. So imagine that. So most likely they've got vessels and they filled these up. They've got six of these lined up, which is a lot of water. What you say, like if we dump this onto the thing and shot it out, that's quite a bit of water. So there's all this water. Jesus says, fill it to the brim. And I think you're aware of the story. Really what we want to get to is what does this mean for us? So he told them, now draw some water out, take it to the master of the banquet, they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he didn't realize where it had come from. Though the servants knew that it was drawn, uh, drawn the water new. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, Listen, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then brings out Mad Dog 2020 after people have had too much to drink. But you say the best till now. So obviously, Jesus does this amazing miracle, 
and the only people who really know is a servant. And I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I used to play, I had a vicar, which is like uh, a pastor intern in Washington. Sunday nights we'd play uh, Mario, Super Mario Brothers. Anyone ever play it on the Wii? You're like, grow up. But anyway, we used to play it every Sunday. So he'd come over, he was really good at it, and I'd just kind of take along, and he let me be Mario, so the relationship worked. And um, when we go up to a next level, or we get like the gold coin, I would actually tell my wife. And you're thinking, you're a grown human being that's just talking about going to the next level. Owen and I went and bragged because we finished Skylanders. Jesus just bent the laws of nature. He doesn't tell anybody. Isn't that kind of interesting? And I think what's more interesting is that he bends the laws of nature. You know the last time they had seen miracles like this? Just think in your head, when is the last time there was miracles in the Old Testament? So Jesus lived around 0 to 30. 4 to 6 B.C. till about 30 B.C. I mean 30 A.D. Any ideas? 800 years. The time of Elisha is the last time there's big miracles. So no one has seen this stuff for 800 years. I grew up as a kid thinking that there was just miracles like going off all the time and everyone is aware of this and it would have been so cool. What are the chances of even witnessing a miracle in the Old Testament? Even if you live then, not very likely. Now you're talking about someone who comes on the scene, they have a situation... And no one has done this for 800 years, and he bends the laws of nature. Jesus has the power to speed up nature, to slow it down, to reverse it altogether. Jesus has the power to make things alive. Jesus has the power to kill things. Jesus has the power to heal things. Jesus has the power to do anything he wants. So as you get ready to pray to Jesus, have you ever felt like maybe this is kind of too big of a deal? You never have to feel that way because Jesus can do absolutely anything. As you say, this is too big a deal. This is too sick. My grandpa's too old. Or whatever it is, Jesus can do it. But I think more interesting is here's a list of miracles, not exhaustive or anything, that Jesus has done in his lifetime. He feeds 5,000 people. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He healed the lame, cured leprosy, and he raised people from the dead. So on that list of impressive miracles that help people, Jesus chose for his first miracle to do what? Like bring medical supplies down to help some people who are sick. His first miracle all time he chooses. Where would you put on the impressive list? Turns water to wine. Did you notice when we read the Old Testament lesson? that through dark arts, the magicians of Pharaoh could turn water into blood? So on the impressive list, where does this fit? He's really, he's really just helping someone who had a problem at a wedding. And I'm not trying to downplay how miraculous it is. It's just, it doesn't seem like someone who's dying, who immediately needs rest. What happens if Jesus doesn't do it? They run out of wine. How many weddings have you been to in your lifetime? My wife and I were like 25 probably or more. I, I thought everyone had gone to weddings all the time and I talked to, I was counseling a couple. I'm like, well, of course you've been to like all kinds of weddings, right? And they're like, um, total between them, they had been to two. So they didn't really know how weddings work and things like that. So we had been to a lot of weddings. And what do you usually remember at weddings? It's just inevitable. When you have 
this much planning in month, $26,000 landing on one day with a cake and people and musicians and a pastor and people who don't normally stand for a long time, standing for a long time, and all this, I'm not going to use the word collide, I'd say meshing on that special day. What do you usually remember from these weddings? The things that aren't good. If they, if they didn't have weddings, I don't know what America's Funniest Whole Videos would even have. Like half the things are weddings, aren't they? I saw one where the guy passes out, runs into the bride who pushes the priest into the pool. And then you're like, that's kind of funny. If you were at that wedding, would you remember that? Do you think you might mention that to people when you're just hanging out, talking wedding talk? We were at a wedding where the chicken wasn't cooked. So then, you know, that might come up once in a while. We were at a wedding where my mom had a cockroach in her salad. We're at a wedding, well, I can't even repeat, but the father of the bride stands up for his speech, and you're like, this needed to be edited, because this was not a good speech, and everyone is slowly crawling under their seats. We were at one where the, uh, the bride's, uh, she was the maid of honor, and starts talking about her sister, and how at a party, she kissed another guy, and we're all like, cut her off, cut her off. <laughs> yeah. This was almost one of those weddings, wasn't it? It was like this close. You have this big celebration, and I'm sure the friends would have thought it was fun and laughed, but how often do you think when they go to a party and they're like, uh, do you need us to bring any wine? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next year, you're like, hey, do you need us to bring the wine? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have enough? You know, how many times do you think they would have got that? If they're friends with me, probably quite a bit. You know, this wouldn't have been good. So this is almost one of those disaster weddings, but ultimately at the end of the day, what does Jesus do? He saves a reputation. That's really it. I mean, he does a miracle, but he does a miracle to save a reputation. And I think some of us, when we have a really big deal, we'll go to Jesus, hey, we need help on this. Do you ever feel like some things are things that you should just handle yourself and not bring to Jesus? Do you ever feel like I'm not quite sick enough? I'm not quite broke enough? Our relationship isn't quite rocky enough? I'm not quite addicted enough? enough. And you see, you know, I'm not going to bother God until it's really a big deal. When you look at this list of things, you'd think, well, that's, Jesus only worries about if I'm really, really sick, or I can't see, or I've got this de- de- uh, debilitating disease, or I'm dead. Jesus actually cares about the little things in your life. So as you get ready to pray, today you can look back and say, my God, who can bend the laws of nature, cares about the big things, and he cares about the small things. Thomas Akempis, I think, said it well. We're going to skip one verse. When you have Christ, you are rich. He is enough. He will provide everything you need so that you don't have to count on others without him. People change and fail. You can't depend on them. You can't even depend on yourself. Those that are for you today may be against you tomorrow. They are as variable as the wind, but Christ is eternally faithful. You have the all-powerful God who comes onto the scene and does something people haven't seen for hundreds of years and that we've never seen with our own eyes. He bends the laws of nature, but he does it for even the smallest things. What a friend we have in Jesus, one we can come to in prayer. Amen.